at this inflection point in history, we're going to be judged by whether or not we live up to the promises we made to ourselves, to each other, to the most vulnerable, and to all those who will inherit the world we create. Oh, boy. We are screwed. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the Bradcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., also in Red Bluff and Redding, California, on KFOI and Round Mountains, KKRN, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW, Lanchester, Pennsylvania's W News, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, out in Seattle, up in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day for you on the Internet. on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your very favorite podcast sites. Blanketing Planet Earth, I'm Brad Friedman. Your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today for another another, uh, delicious episode of the Bradcast. Delicious. Hi, Desi Doyen. Hi. Uh, On uh, Tuesday, President Joe Biden addressed the U.N. General Assembly in New York City, speaking for 30 minutes to the gathered world leaders with a repeated emphasis on the value of institutions such as the United Nations and international coalitions that have helped the world confront significant challenges such as poverty and disease, as well as echoing his defense of democracy as he has throughout his presidency and the critical need to combat the quickly growing menace of our climate crisis as more than 70,000 climate protesters lined the streets on Sunday, demanding more action quicker from the international body and from the American president. More on that in Desi Doyen's latest Green News report a little yep. bit later this hour. How are you doing, Des? Doing uh, great. Uh, good. Uh, I, uh, but I want to focus on here uh, perhaps the most central aspect of Biden's address to the U.N. on Tuesday. His argument that um, that he made before the U.N. General Assembly that the world must remain united in defending Ukraine against Russia's brutal aggression against its sovereign neighbor, warning that no nation can be secure If, quote, we allow Ukraine to be carved up as he hopes to rally the world in support of Kiev's efforts 
to repel Russia's brutal, nearly 19-month-old invasion. They won't call it a war still. It's, it's just a special military operation. A military operation that has resulted in tens of thousands of people dead after 19 months at this point, uh, and the slaughter of Ukraine citizens, with currently no end in sight at this point. President Biden called on world leaders to not let support for Ukraine diminish, arguing that Russia is counting on countries to grow tired of the prolonged conflict in Kyiv, which will, quote, allow it to brutalize Ukraine without consequence. As the fascistic Putin government alone, as the president argued, stands in the way of a resolution demanding, quote, Ukraine's capitulation, Ukraine's territory, and Ukraine's children. For the second year in a row, this gathering dedicated to peaceful resolution of conflicts is darkened by the shadow of war. An illegal war of conquest brought without provocation by Russia against its neighbor Ukraine. Like every nation in the world, the United States wants this war to end. No nation wants this war to end more than Ukraine. And we strongly support Ukraine in its efforts to bring about a diplomatic resolution that delivers just and lasting peace. But Russia alone, Russia alone bears responsibility for this war. Russia alone has the power to end this war immediately. And it's Russia alone that stands in the way of peace because the Russia's price for peace is Ukraine's capitulation, Ukraine's territory, and Ukraine's children. Russia believes that the world will grow weary and allow it to brutalize Ukraine without consequence. But I ask you this, if we abandon the core principles of the United States to appease an aggressor, can any member state in this body feel confident that they are protected? If we allow Ukraine to be carved up, is the independence of any nation secure? I'd respectfully suggest the answer is no. We have to stand up to this naked aggression today and deter other would-be aggressors tomorrow. That's why the United States, together with our allies and partners around the world, will continue to stand with the brave people of Ukraine as they defend their sovereignty and territorial integrity and their freedom. The president's rhetoric on Ukraine appeared aimed not just for a global audience, but for Washington, D.C., where an increasingly isolationist strain of the Republican Party is now jeopardizing the prospects of the U.S. successfully replenishing the steady flow of aid that has gone to Kyiv since the war began in February of 2022. The Biden administration has asked Congress to greenlight an additional $24 billion in security and humanitarian aid to Ukraine, but Republicans who control the U.S. House have all but ignored that request as Ukrainian men and women and children are slaughtered. Even as Congress must now pass a spending bill or a temporary continuing resolution in order to simply fund the government here in the U.S. as of the first of next month, just about a week and a half from now, when the GOP uh, House GOP caucus appears to be hoping to shut the entire government down. 
Lawmakers are scrambling to ensure government funding remains flowing beyond the end of September to Ukraine, animated by the views of the former pro-Russian President Donald Trump, a vocal faction of House Republicans remain steadfastly opposed to more Ukraine aid, even as other GOP lawmakers, primarily in the Senate, continue to advocate support for Kyiv to dissuade Russia from spreading its attacks and its authoritarianism beyond Ukraine's borders. The broader message is intended to resonate beyond Moscow and even Capitol Hill. Washington remains on guard against Chinese aggression in the South China Sea, where competing territorial claims have caused tension in that region. During his address, President Biden described partnerships the U.S. government was fostering around the globe, from Africa to the Indo-Pacific that he said were creating economic, security, and other advancements, even as he stressed that those relationships were not about, quote, containing any country. That message, a clear reference to Beijing. Quote, when it comes to China, Biden said, we seek responsibly, we speak, we seek to responsibly manage competition between our countries so it does not tip into conflict. I've said we are for de-risking not decoupling with China, the president said. Biden emphasized that Beijing and Washington need to cooperate on climate and referenced recent natural disasters, devastating heat waves, droughts and floods around the globe. China has had it really as bad as, uh, well, as bad as this country, as bad as uh, much of the world over the summer. All as a part of what Joe Biden described as a snapshot that tells the urgent story of what awaits us if we fail to reduce our dependence on fossil fuels and begin to climate proof the world, he said. Climate proof the world, Desi Toyin. Yeah, it's a pretty good, pretty well said, I think. Yeah, good luck with that. Uh, as noted, in any event, more on that issue in our latest uh, very oily <laughs> I, I think uh, it's fair to say very oily uh, Green News report a little that bit later. That is a good assessment, yes. Here, uh, nonetheless, is how Joe Biden closed his remarks at the U.N. on Tuesday. At this inflection point in history, we're going to be judged by whether or not we live up to the promises we made to ourselves, to each other, to the most vulnerable, and to all those who will inherit the world we create, because that's what we're doing. Will we find within ourselves the courage to do what must be done to preserve the planet, to protect human dignity, to provide opportunity for people everywhere, and to defend the tenets of the United Nations? There can only be one answer to that question. We must and we will. The road ahead is long and difficult, but if we preserve, persevere, and prevail, if we keep the faith in ourselves and show what's possible, let's do this work together. Let's deliver progress for everyone. Let's bend the arc of history for the good of the world. Because it's in our power to do it. Thank you for listening. You're kind. That was Joe Biden at the UN General Assembly on Tuesday. 
Uh, for his part, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, who addressed the assembly a few hours uh, after Joe Biden, said Tuesday that Russia is, quote, weaponizing everything from food and energy to abducted children in its war against Ukraine. And he warned world leaders that the same could happen to them, quote, when hatred is weaponized against one nation, it never stops there. He warned the goal of the present war against Ukraine is to turn our land, our people, our lives, our resources into weapons against you, against the international rules based order. Ukraine and its allies cast the country's cause as a battle for the rule of international law, for the sovereignty of every country with a powerful and potentially expansionist neighbor, and for the stability of global supplies that have been rocked by the war. The commodity upheaval has triggered inflation and caused serious hardships for many poor countries. Zelensky pointed to the war's effects on fuel and food supplies, and highlighted what Ukraine says were at least tens of thousands, tens of thousands of children taken from their families after Moscow's invasion. What will happen to them, he asked. Those children in Russia, he charged, are taught to hate Ukraine, and all ties with their families are broken. And this is clearly a genocide, Zelensky said. In fact, the International Criminal Court has issued an arrest warrant back in uh, March for Russian President Vladimir Putin and another official accusing them of abducting children from Ukraine. Russian officials, of course, have denied any forced transfers of children. I guess the children just wanted to leave, saying that some Ukrainian children are in foster care. Well, isn't that nice? And this is a real chance for every nation to ensure that aggression against, against your state, if it happens, God forbid, will end. Not because your land will be divided and you will be forced to submit to military or political pressure, but because your territory and sovereignty will be fully restored. We launched the format of meetings between national security advisors and diplomatic representatives, important talks and consultations were held in Hiroshima, in Copenhagen, and in Jeddah on the implementation of the peace formula. And we are preparing a global peace summit. And please, I invite all of you, all of you who do not tolerate any aggression, to jointly prepare the summit. And I am aware of the attempts to make some shady dealings behind the scenes. Evil cannot be trusted. Ask Prigozhin if one bets on Putin's promises. Please hear me. Let unity decide everything openly. While Russia is pushing the world to the final war, Ukraine is doing everything to ensure that after Russian aggression, no one in the world will dare to attack any nation. Weaponization must be restrained. War crimes must be punished. Deported people must come back home and the occupier must return to their own land. We must be united to make it and we'll do it. Slava Ukraini. 
That was Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky speaking to the U.N. General Assembly on Tuesday. Russia gets its chance to address the assembly on Saturday when Foreign Minister uh, Sergei Lavrov is expected uh, on the rostrum as Vladimir Putin is largely unable to leave his country at this point for fear of arrest or worse. Meanwhile, Ukraine is concerned that backing from its allies may be ebbing. Some nations have pledged further money and weapons, but a key sticking point is whether to supply longer-range missiles that Kiev insists are needed in order to hit Russian troops and facilities from a safe distance as far as about 180 miles away. But the U.S. is wary of that request, worried Ukraine could use those weapons to strike deep into Russian territory and provoke Moscow. Meanwhile, the U.S. Congress, as noted, is currently weighing Biden's request to provide as much as $24 billion more in military and humanitarian aid amid a growing partisan divide over spending on the conflict as Zelensky is scheduled to spend time Thursday on Capitol Hill and to meet with Joe Biden at the White House that same day. But as to our own mess at home when it comes to Congress and the ability of Republicans to get to even agree among themselves on a spending package for Americans, even one that might simply keep the government open for another 30 days to allow for continued negotiations, again, among Republicans who can't even agree with themselves on a proposal to do the most basic of government things, like, you know, staying open. On that matter, a uh, short-term government funding bill drafted by leaders of the far-right Freedom Caucus over the weekend was at risk of falling apart less than one day after it was released as some rank-and-file ultra-conservatives voiced their opposition to the measure, as NBC is reporting this morning. So let me just quickly unwrap that sentence, if I could. As far right as the authoritarian Republican Party has now lurched as a whole, we're to the point where we've got the the far right Republican Party itself as a whole. And then what NBC describes as the far right Freedom Caucus, which I would describe as the farther right or the (laughs) far, far right Freedom Caucus. We're running out of fars, which now appears to be at odds with what NBC describes as rank and file ultra Conservatives who are opposing the extreme, yes, far, far right proposal to keep the government open as of October 1. Got that? Of course, there is nothing actually conservative about any of them. They are all radical, extremist, reactionary authoritarians, which used to be the very opposite of conservatism back when words had actual meaning and stuff. But anyway, back to the seemingly failed deal by the far right, the far, far right and the ultra far, far right (laughs) uh, caucus in the House to do the simplest of acts of keeping the government lights on in just over a week from now. The proposed deal, again, all among Republicans, would fund the government with a continuing resolution from the end of the fiscal year on September 30 for just 
30 days until October 31. It would impose during those 30 days an 8% cut to domestic programs, meaning nearly everything but defense, veterans programs, and disaster relief, and it would include a swath of restrictive racist immigration policies adopted by Republicans in the House back in May. Even if the bill proposed by some far, far right Freedom Caucus members and so-called establishment Republicans, even if it did pass the House, well, it would most likely be shot down by the U.S. Senate. But the bill is seemingly unlikely to even make it that far, NBC reports, as lawmakers such as uh, Reps Marjorie Taylor Greene, Matt Gates, Dan Bishop, Eli Crane, members, I guess, of the ultra far, far right who can keep track at this point, have said that they will not pass a bill that stops short of all of their demands. Florida Rep Matt Gates immediately rejected this proposal, saying that he would, quote, not support this 167 page surrender to Joe Biden. Freedom Caucus Reps Dan Bishop of North Carolina, Matt Rosendale of Montana, Eli Crane of Arizona, and others piled on along with uh, Speaker Kevin McCarthy's best pal, his new BFF, that would be Georgia Rep Marjorie Taylor Greene. She opposes it as well. Uh, and that, of course, would be more than enough to present passage in the House, presuming Democrats do not come to the rescue of Republicans. And it's hard to see how they would do so here, given all the objectionable stuff in this so-called stopgap measure just to allow, you know, members of the military to continue receiving paychecks and Social Security recipients to continue receiving their checks and for food inspectors, you know, to make sure that stuff that you eat is not poisonous as of October 1. Trick or treat. <laughs> According to the uh, Washington Post, House leaders, uh, House leadership nevertheless has a, quote, goal of uniting all flanks of the conference to support passing the deal. <laughs> oh, good luck with that, honey. McCarthy, uh, as of Monday morning, appeared to be confused about what happens next. He told reporters, quote, if you're not willing to pass appropriations bills and you're not willing to pass a continuing resolution to allow you to pass the rest of the appropriations bills and you don't want an omnibus bill for all of it, I don't quite know what you want. Ding, ding, ding. McCarthy had intended to bring this proposal to the floor in tandem with the defense appropriations bill that the House extremist had derailed last week, telling Fox News on Sunday, quote, I gave them an opportunity this weekend to try to work through this and we'll bring it to the floor, win or lose. We'll see if that happens. Emphasis, I suspect, on lose. As Democratic House leader Hakeem Jeffries told ABC News over the weekend that House Republicans are, quote, in the middle of a civil war. It's unfortunate, he added, but as House Democrats, we're going to try to find common ground with, other si with the other side of the aisle. Hopefully the House Republicans will come along so that we can work to make sure we are funding the government, <laughs> which is... The very low bar in Congress these days. Just work with the others to make sure we are funding the government. It's the absolute minimum, the minimum that they could do, and they still can't even manage that. By the way, 
When it comes to the media coverage of all of this, the yeah. New York Times uh, releases an alert on my iPhone today. Discord among Democrats. <laughs> Anyway, uh, the House Republican Congress uh, conference and, and, and thus the whole House, as Daily Coast's Joan McCarter describes it, remains at this point in chaos. Unless you're the New York Times, in which case it's the, the Democrats in chaos, I guess. That with just days left for McCarthy to figure out how to not shut the government down as of the end of this month, at which time... Some painful cuts negotiated by Joe Biden earlier this year during the Republicans threat at that time to allow the government to default entirely on its bills for the first time in history by refusing to raise the debt limit to pay for the stuff that the government, including both Congress and presidents over many years, had already agreed to pay for. Uh, those cuts will kick in. So. It's not going to work out well here for the Republicans, no matter what they do. But maybe they ought to do something, if only to make something work out well for the American people. Well, that assumes that the MAGA caucus, the far, far, far right, or the ultra far, far right, or however many far rights they are, that assumes that the MAGA caucus wants to do things that benefit the American people. And they don't want to shut down because, boy, you know, a shutdown would be just so much fun for them. They don't seem to care about it. No, they want it to shut down. They're happy with that. And so what are they going to do next about any of it? Impeach Joe Biden, of course. <laughs> That's next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Trouble, no trouble set me free. I have seen your face and it's too much, too much for me. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Welcome back to Trouble. I'm Brad Friedman, your uh, friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker from bradblog.com. The GOP-controlled House Oversight Committee on Tuesday announced that it would hold a public hearing next Thursday, September 28th, on what they characterize as the business dealings of Joe Biden's family, it will be the first such hearing since House Speaker Kevin McCarthy unilaterally announced an impeachment inquiry of the president in hopes of winning over his far, far-right caucus to uh, just simply keep the government open past the end of the fiscal year, which ends at the end of next week. This hearing, the first so-called impeachment inquiry hearing, uh, would come just two days before the government will shut down if House Republicans are unable to agree amongst themselves on some kind of continuing resolution to keep the government open. Instead, apparently, they are doing this. 
Quote, we're going to have three credible witnesses, Chairman James Comer of Kentucky, uh, told uh, chairman of the Oversight Committee, told ABC News, which, by the way, does not strike me as something that you usually need to say when your witnesses are actually credible. I would agree with you on that. Quote, we want to be able to explain what exactly an impeachment inquiry is and what the purpose is. The other witnesses will be financial law experts and foreign agent registration experts to talk about the alleged, quote, evidence. And by the way, that's ABC putting the quotes around the word evidence there. (laughs) So good for them, maybe. Uh, Republicans believe they have gathered uh, evidence, quote, evidence that Republicans believe they have gathered about the Biden's family, Biden family's business dealings. Quote, the Oversight Committee will continue to follow the evidence and money trail to provide the transparency and accountability that Americans demand from their government, a committee statement said. Comer also said that Republicans would subpoena bank records for Hunter Biden and James Biden. Who is James Biden, you might ask? I know I did. That would uh, so Hunter Biden is, of course, the president's son. Uh, his one remaining living child, I believe, at this point, uh, at least uh, his remaining son. The uh, And uh, James Biden is his brother. So that's Joe Biden's brother, James. Uh, their bank records are being subpoenaed as soon as this week, according to Comer. Asked why the committees have yet to subpoena the president's records, Comer said it's because investigators have, and pay attention here, investigators have not uncovered evidence that he received any of the scrutinized funds. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Could you say that one more time? Not uncovered any evidence that he received any of the scrutinized funds. Quote, we will follow the money, whether it be China, Romania, Ukraine, Russia, Uzbekistan. And then it was dispersed to nine different Biden family members, says Comer, uh, before conceding that whatever money they are looking at, none of it actually went to, you know, Joe Biden, the guy that they are impeaching for something or other. The White House is adamant that the president did nothing wrong and that there's no evidence to suggest otherwise, which is almost certainly true, given that a Donald Trump appointed DOJ prosecutor has been investigating Hunter Biden and any and all related matters for nearly five years now. A Donald Trump appointed prosecutor. For five years, along with probes by the Internal Revenue Service and a months long probe now in three different U.S. House committees, all of which uh, have apparently failed to come up with any wrongdoing by the actual president that they are now impeaching. White House spokesperson Ian Sams slammed the timing of the hearing coming just two days before the government could shut down if no funding deal is reached. And I see no reason why it will be. Quote, extreme House Republicans are already telegraphing their plans to try to distract from their own chaotic inability to govern and the impacts of it on the country, Sams said, staging a political stunt hearing in the waning days before they may shut down the government reveals their true priorities to them. Baseless personal attacks on President Biden are more important than preventing a government shutdown and the pain it would inflict on American families, Sams wrote in a statement. 
So as to that plan to distract, we discussed it a little bit uh, last week, but an impeachment of Joe Biden, if Republicans are dumb enough to go through with it, uh, may well hurt them more than help them, as it hurt them back in uh, the 90s after their 1998, their move to impeach Bill Clinton for things that were clearly not high crimes or misdemeanors. But at least he did something they could identify. And, you know, they just got slammed in the midterms because of it. Uh, we reported last week on McCarthy's seemingly limp attempt to try and appease the far right, far, far right elements of his caucus by unilaterally declaring an impeachment inquiry just 11 days after vowing that he would never do so unless there was a full vote of Congress on the on the, the, the House of, of uh, the floor of the House. That after Republicans had claimed that Donald Trump's first impeachment by Democrats was unlawful because of it because uh, and or unconstitutional because it was unilaterally announced by then House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Now, she ultimately held a full House vote in which the impeachment inquiry was supported by a vote of 230 to 197. Now, whether McCarthy ever calls one, that remains to be seen. But the reason that he didn't call for a floor vote originally is likely for two reasons. One, with a slim five vote majority, it's quite likely he would not be able to actually win such a vote. And in any event, it could put a number of his own members in a very difficult spot, particularly those who those members who last year won their seats in districts that were previously won by Joe Biden in 2020, asking them to make this vote, and they will have to make this vote if it's held because the margin is so small, asking them to to take this vote, putting them on record in districts that Joe Biden won, well, that's probably not good for a Republican majority next year. The other reason, of course, is that there appears to be zero Evidence that Joe Biden actually committed any high crimes or low crimes or misdemeanors, which a number of pro-impeachment Republicans have been sort of forced to admit in various ways when confronted by journalists uh, over the past week, including even on Fox News. As Walter Einenkel uh, rounded up uh, at the uh, at the week's end on Friday, uh, after nine months of Republican-led House committee investigations into the president and his son Hunter, the GOP has come up with no evidence of wrongdoing by Joe Biden. Fox Fox Business host Maria Bartiromo took time away. Uh, as Einenkel reports, from purposely misinforming the public about Trump's false election fraud claims to discuss the impeachment inquiry into President Biden. Her guest was Missouri Republican uh, Congressman Jason Smith. Bartiromo asked Smith what he thinks is, quote, the most damning evidence that you all have to suggest bribery. As Republicans have of late been claiming that Joe Biden took millions of dollars of bribes, bribes in foreign money from Ukraine and China and elsewhere, as I understand the allegations. So Bart Romo proceeded then to reiterate some vague circumstantial claims, some completely unsubstantiated claims with some big numbers before Congressman Smith essentially admitted that he had no idea 
what the answers were to her questions and no evidence to support any of this to date. But what I want to know is what you believe is the most damning evidence that you all have to suggest bribery, that the president was inv involved in bribery and money laundering. Um, what were they getting paid for and how come they set up 20 shell companies while he was vice president? What are these shell companies about? Those are all great questions that we need answers to. Unfortunately, since we released the, the testimony of the IRS whistleblowers on June 22nd, myself, Jim Jordan, Jamie Comer have sent 16 different investigative letters to the Biden administration asking um, questions and demanding answers, and they have stonewalled us this entire time. That is why we're going to an impeachment inquiry, is because we need these these questions answered mm -hmm. so they're all great questions that they have no answers whatsoever to now of course the the claims of stonewalling uh by the biden administration are somewhat amusing for those of us old enough to remember 2019 when the trump administration claimed that they did not have to turn over anything to congress to the house impeachment inquiry because it was not properly carried out by a full vote on the floor of the House, which has not happened here. But in short, Smith admits to a very friendly Bartiromo that the Republicans don't actually have any of the evidence of the crimes that they are pretending that Biden committed. Gone are the days, writes Einenkohl, when uh, Congressman Smith was calling the evidence-based impeachment of former President Donald Trump, quote, outrageous attacks from the liberal mob majority that consistently puts politics before people, unquote. He said back then that Trump's, quote, impeachment circus should have never been started and was, quote, a complete disgrace to our country. But when it comes to Republicans starting their own circus, uh, bring on the elephants, apparently. He has no qualms whatsoever. And then there's Florida's Matt Gates, one of the biggest proponents of a Biden impeachment in that clip we played last week. But it is worth playing again, given that uh, CNN's Abby Phillip did such a good job trying, at least, to hold his feet to the fire. I just have to say, I mean, we do have bank records, devices, laptops, travel records, changes in administration policy. Seems like pretty strong evidence not, to me. None of which links President Biden to Well, it was uh, Joe any, Biden on the phone. None of which he was calling into the meetings. Wait, Abby, Con are you actually trying to tell your viewers that, that you don't believe that Joe Biden was involved in Hunter Biden's business deals? It's not it's about, a hard case. It's not about what I believe. It's about whether, whether there is evidence that President Biden is linked to the misdeeds that uh, might be linked to Hunter Biden. That's the issue. Uh, but I want to get a, back. That was I, I tortured. Do wanna, I, no, I mean, I mean, come look, on. He was, he, wait, hold on. Can you just acknowledge that when it, he calls into the business no, 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 deals no, 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 that no. he's involved? This is when not, he calls into the, to the dinners, not about, you don't think that's involved this is, in it? First of all, this is not about innuendo. It's not about what I believe. It's a question. Do you have evidence? If you had evidence that Joe Biden was linked to uh, Hunter Biden's business deals in a way that is illegal, we wouldn't be having this conversation. You would probably have the votes for an impeachment inquiry, but you don't because well, of people I, like Ken Buck and people like Don Bacon and many others in your conference. Well, I see the evidence differently. I think that we need to, that's why we need to have the votes and have the debates and have the hearings. And again, they represent their constituents just like I represent mine. Wait, did he say that's why we need to have the votes? 
something like that. Because they haven't had the votes. They haven't held the votes. They're just uh, declaring an impeachment inquiry, which they said was unconstitutional previously. And which they're calling on now just to find the evidence that they would need to try to say something, anything about Biden. So, uh, listen, I am sorry to have to play this stuff uh, over and over again, but uh, calling, you know, calling into it's a claim that Republicans are making that do Biden was calling into business meetings. In fact, what he was referring to is uh, calling his son while his son happened to be having dinner with some guy, some uh, business partner of his business partner who has since testified to the House that, no, there was no discussion about the business at all when. Joe Biden called in to say hello to his son. And of course, as you remember, uh, when it comes to Republicans and their very, very good media machine, as opposed to the Democrats, very terrible one. None of this actually has to require facts or evidence in order to muddy the waters enough to make enough Americans believe that wrongdoing must have happened somehow. That's why I think it is important to respond to this stuff, to call this stuff out as much as I would like to ignore it, if only so that we don't have to hear the screechy voice of Maria Bartiromo. (laughs) But just look at Hillary Clinton's emails. Or go back further to the infamous swift boating of John Kerry in 2004. This stuff works. In both cases, Democrats failed to push back against those very false claims, thinking that they were so ridiculous that they would therefore never catch on in, you know, at this point, world-famous all-time miscalculations in both cases where they did catch on, even without evidence of wrongdoing or crimes, etc. That is the playbook that we are witnessing right now in the middle of, once again, coming up to another presidential election. Please pay attention. This is the playbook. This is and her emails. This is the swift boating. It is ongoing right now. And that playbook seems to be working. Again, voters, as the Hill reported yesterday, are divided over the GOP push to launch an impeachment inquiry into President Biden, according to a new poll from Harvard University and Harris Polling. Now, should they be divided at all on this? Of course, the answer is no. But they are also being wildly disinformed, with not nearly enough pushback, as I see it at least, from Democrats. The poll found that voters are actually evenly split, 50-50, believe it or not, on whether the inquiry raises legitimate questions into Biden's conduct or is mostly political, uh, politically motivated. As expected, of course, responses were sharply divided on party lines, with three-quarters of Republicans saying that the impeachment inquiry is legitimate. Three-quarters of them, and almost the same amount of Democrats, saying that it is politically motivated. A slight majority of independents, however, 54%, said that the inquiry was mostly fueled by politics. So there's that. Independents are slightly smart enough to notice that this is entirely fueled or mostly fueled by politics. 
But the poll also found a slight majority of 53% support support House Speaker Kevin McCarthy opening the inquiry in the first place. Pollsters found a majority of respondents said they believe the president had some involvement in Hunter Biden's business dealings, with 57 percent saying they believe he was helping his son get business contracts. The evidence for that? Eh, Don't ask. Additionally, six in 10 or 60 percent said Biden had direct and detailed knowledge of his son's dealings and that he has made false or misleading statements about his son's business dealings and what he knew about them. And if that is not true, well, the White House and the Democrats in Congress ought to be out there saying as much over and over and over, no matter how annoying it is, no matter how much they have to repeat it, no matter how many times they have to replay Marita Bartiromo's Maria's screechy voice. And that's just one poll. Uh, But 538.com reports on a number of other polls with similar, if not quite as bad numbers. But I think that the, the proper presumption here for the moment is that Republicans are so far successfully muddying the waters, whether they have any actual evidence to support their claims or not. So what's the right way to respond? Well, The claims, false or otherwise, must be answered on a regular basis, as annoying as it is, by Democrats. And, of course, mockery, that doesn't hurt, at least in my opinion. On Monday, California Governor Gavin Newsom mocked House Speaker Kevin McCarthy's decision to launch an impeachment into into President Biden, describing the Republican majority's actions as, quote, student government. In an interview with CNN. An impeachment inquiry? Give me a break. This is student government. Student government. Threatening debt again, or rather threatening a government shutdown again, after we went through that process with the debt ceiling? This is student government. This is a joke. Ready, fire, aim? I mean, this is a perversity of what the founding fathers ever conceived of and imagined. So if that's the best they can do, give me a break. So, yeah, it is a joke. But really... This joke has very serious consequences. Yeah, it's a very dangerous joke. An armed protester who appeared outside of President Biden's Delaware home on Sunday appears to have been inspired by the efforts of congressional Republicans and other right-wing groups to drum up scandal related to Hunter Biden, the protester who had a pistol holstered on his hip in the open carry state, held a sign that referred to various aspects of the right-wing investigations into the Biden family, including email aliases used when Joe Biden was vice president, which Republicans have tried to cite as proof of malfeasance in the absence of actual evidence. The uh, armed protesters' sign read, uh, Joe has aliases, and lists what are alleged to be Biden's uh, alias, email aliases that he used. He did indeed use email aliases while he was vice president during the uh, Obama administration, according to Time magazine. The White House has confirmed as much and described it as a security practice, one of the aliases that was tied to a government domain, so the records were retained by the National Archives. Government officials, including Barack Obama, have used obscure addresses addresses to avoid hackers uh, and spam. 
However, unlike some of Trump's allies who used email aliases while engaged in allegedly criminal schemes to steal the 2020 election, after extensive investigations, there is no evidence that Biden's alternate emails were somehow used in conjunction with any illegality. Nonetheless, Republicans in Congress and right-wing groups have repeatedly pointed to those email aliases as evidence of criminal wrongdoing somehow. The obsession with Biden's email aliases on the right has now followed the larger Hunter Biden playbook, which involves trying to use the sordid personal and ethical issues of the president's son in hopes of creating a scandal for the White House and some kind of false equivalency, of course, with Donald Trump's behavior. As TPM's Hunter Walker notes, while Republican efforts to paint Biden as operating a so-called crime family may be lacking in actual substance, the incident makes clear that they could have very real-world and potentially dangerous consequences. That armed protester was observed and photographed by a reporter working in the White House press pool on Sunday and noted that the uh, person was, quote, walking down the road toward the Biden home around noon and that a Secret Service vehicle thankfully, was following him down the road. Delaware, where Biden has two homes, is an open carry state. In an initial statement on Sunday, the Secret Service alluded to the fact that the protester did not seem to be violating any local laws in Delaware, where open carry is perfectly fine. The end of quote, the individual expressing his constitutional rights had no impact on any of the Secret Service's protectees movements. The service said the individual is a member of the community who demonstrates regularly. And, of course, with a pistol at his side near the president's house while citing phony evidence of non-existent crimes. I suspect we will see much more of that in the days ahead as Republicans crank up a pretend, if perhaps effective, at least for some people, impeachment inquiry. As the federal government gears up to be shut down. But maybe that's the whole point. Green News Report is next. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is supporting you and the things that you care about. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to counter the powerful corporate media echo chamber. Right now, as much as ever. If you choose to support us, you can do it really easily, safely, and quickly via brandblog.com donate. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Well, uh, spoiler alert, I guess. I think uh, today's show will end where it began. It began at the U.N. General Assembly. Yep. And it ends there as well, uh, it seems, in our latest Green News Report. And these guys have been playing us for fools. They've been playing all of us for fools. The state of California sues major oil companies over climate damages. 
Another investigation shows big oil executives plotted to deceive the public, discredit climate science, and delay action. Plus, protesters demand the end of the fossil fuel era as U.N. General Assembly gets underway. Good luck with that. No, seriously, good luck with that. All of those stories and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Climate change is a global issue. It calls for a coordinated global policy response, not piecemeal litigation that benefits attorneys and, uh, and politicians. Says Mike Worth, CEO of Chevron. So you know you can take that to the bank. No, seriously, you can take that to the bank. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, we have been tracking, warning, concerned about this for at least two weeks, but Hurricane Lee is... Finally over? <laughs> yes. Over the weekend, Hurricane Lee finally made landfall as a post-tropical storm in Nova Scotia on Saturday, bringing heavy rain, coastal flooding, and wind damage linked to the deaths of two people and knocking out power to tens of thousands along the U.S. East Coast and Atlantic Canada. Sounds like a bullet was dodged there? Yes, it wasn't nearly as damaging as it could have been. Good. In other news, in a bombshell new investigation, the Wall Street Journal reveals the oil industry is still deceiving the public about climate science. You don't say. Previous revelations show that Exxon and other oil majors knew as far back as the 1950s that fossil fuels caused dangerous man-made climate change and then spent millions to mislead the public about it. The Journal revealed new internal documents uncovered in a lawsuit showing that starting in 2006, after Exxon publicly conceded that fossil fuels cause global warming, their executives then plotted to muddle and downplay climate science findings to protect their profits. Of course. Exxon is a defendant in dozens of liability lawsuits accusing the company of deception. Over the weekend, California added another one, suing five of the world's biggest oil companies. Mm. California alleges that ExxonMobil, Shell, BP, ConocoPhillips, Chevron, and their lobbyists in the American Petroleum Institute knew for more than 50 years about the risks and harms of using fossil fuels and mounted a decades-long disinformation campaign to discredit climate science and deceive investors and the public, all while causing billions of dollars in damages to communities and the environment. That's a serious matter. If California was its own country, it would be, I think, the fifth largest economy in the world. So they have some uh, firepower to bring behind this. Yes, they do. California's lawsuit details decades of oil industry climate disinformation and claims that the oil companies created a public nuisance, destroyed natural resources, and violated California's false advertising and product liability laws. The state is demanding the creation of a special fund for oil companies to pay for climate damages in the state. A spokesperson for Shell said the company understands the need to address climate change but believes that the courts are not the right venue. Uh But California's Democratic Governor Gavin Newsom wasn't buying it. Uh, The climate crisis is, after all, a fossil fuel crisis, period, full stop. And these guys have been playing us for fools. They've been playing all of us for fools. They continue to play us for fools. The scale and scope 
of what the state of California can do, we think can move the needle. It sure as hell can do this, and forgive me for being long-winded, it can illuminate their deceit. It can illuminate their deception and their lies over the course of 50, 60, 70 years they've been lying to you. Well, this will be interesting to find out. Who is more powerful, the fifth largest economy in the world or all the oil companies? Also in California, state lawmakers passed two new transparency laws that require companies to disclose their actual greenhouse gas emissions to investors, not just direct emissions from operations, but more critically, what's called scope three emissions from customers using their products. By far the lion's share of emissions, especially for the oil industry. And finally, in New York City over the weekend, a massive march kicked off the Climate Week Conference alongside the annual United Nations General Assembly meeting. In the largest climate rally since the pandemic, 75,000 people took Mm. to the streets to demand world leaders end the fossil fuel era. They demanded President Biden phase out fossil fuel drilling, declare a climate emergency, and speed up the transition to clean energy. Good. Go get them. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. These guys have been playing us for fools. They've been playing all of us for fools. And I'll get on my knees and pray. So I think that's the message of uh, today's broadcast, really, from top to bottom. Don't be fooled by the fools on the hill or the fools in the fossil uh, fuel industry. The liars, yes. There you go. Don't be fooled. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen. Thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It's always greatly appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's program, You can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. That is made possible by those of you kind enough, thank you, to consider uh, donating to bradblog.com either one time or via a, hopefully, preferably via a recurring monthly donation at bradblog.com slash donate. We couldn't do it without you. We couldn't beat up on the oil companies without you. So thank you for that. Drop me an email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. You will find me on the Facebooks, Mastodons, and site still known as Twitter at TheBradBlog. You'll find Desi in the same places at Green, Green News, News Report. Report. Please come visit me. Say hello. Yes. Follow her, please. She's lonely. <laughs> uh, and and that's it. We will see you there until we see you here next time. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. And I'll get on my knees and pray.